You're listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. For more information, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk. Our Bible reading today is um, Daniel chapter 10. Um, if you're in the reading from the church Bibles, we're on page 896. 896. So, chapter 10. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen, with a belt of the finest gold round his waist. His body was like chrysolite, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision The men with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I am about to speak to you and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. While he was saying this to me, I bowed with my face towards the ground and was speechless. Then one who looked like a man touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing before me, I am overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord, and I am helpless. 
How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone and I can hardly breathe. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid, O man, highly esteemed, he said. Peace. Be strong now. Be strong. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. So he said, Do you know why I have come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go, the prince of Greece will come. But first, I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. And in the first year of Darius the Mede, I took my stand to support and protect him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's just pray for Jamie as he comes to speak to us now. Lord, we thank you for what we've heard in your word and we thank you for the life of Daniel and his friends and time and time again, Lord, we see you bringing insight to Daniel through his visions and giving him understanding. And we pray now for Jamie, Lord, as he comes as your servant here. We thank you for him. We pray that you will bless him and for many of us we are seeking insight into these words in particular, but into so much more, Lord. And we just pray that your Holy Spirit will speak through him into each of our lives, personally and collectively as a church, that we may learn and be blessed. And we pray that you'll bless Jamie as he speaks, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, John and for our reading today. Well, I'm not going to mess around too much this morning, and we're going to jump straight into uh, to Daniel 10. I'm hoping that by now you've, you've, uh, you've got a bit of a feel for how this series is going, and, and you're finding it informative going on beyond those, that sort of first section with the famous Bible stories, and looking at some of these difficult and complex sort of visions that we've seen uh, given to Daniel. Uh, we find ourselves in his third and his final uh, vision now as we begin to wrap up our series over the next couple of weeks. And the first thing that we notice as we come to this part in the book is that Daniel, if you look with me, Daniel is deeply disturbed. Well, we've looked at some of the reasons why. Let's recap some of them again this morning. Uh, we know that Daniel has read through the scrolls. We looked at this last week, didn't we? The scrolls of Jeremiah. And he came to realise that God's people would be in captivity for 70 years. And he realised as he was reading through them that those 70 years are nearly up. And so he's crying out to God, Lord, you said we'll only be away for 70 years because of our sins. When are you going to bring us back home? He says, how long? And remember what you said to us, your people, through your servant Jeremiah, O oh God. And God, through Gabriel, tells him that, yes, at the end of the 70 years away, you will return and you will have the opportunity to build your temple again. But it won't last. 
And God shows Daniel this great vision of what's going to take place beyond this 70 years. He says 70 times 70 years is the vision that he is given to Daniel. And we also know, uh, as we read through Ezra Run, for example, you see that in the first year of King Cyrus, the king of Persia, he issued an edict that allowed, after those uh, 70 years were up, to go back and to build, to go back home. In the second year, they begin that rebuilding process. And as you read through Ezra, you realise that uh, some people there are unhappy with this whole building project, and so they begin to stir up some lies about God's people. And they begin saying to the king, hey king, guess what? These people, these Israelites, whenever they start to build up their temple, whenever they start to fortify their walls, when they start to rebuild their city, they become bad news for the other nations around them. And you better watch out for them because they're troublemakers. And so what does the king do? He decides to halt the building process. The king commands the building to stop. So Daniel in the third year, as it's introduced here, has not only seen the vision of the things to come and realises that it's going well beyond what he can imagine, he also is maybe uh, let down and deflated by uh, by the building work of Jerusalem and the rebuilding of the temple. And he's frustrated, or perhaps he's he's concerned by, by God's people being frustrated with the building of Jerusalem. And now what we shall see over the remaining chapters is Daniel, as I've said, Daniel's third and final vision. So chapter 10 really is an introduction to those final visions over chapters 11 and 12, where God is about to reveal some things to Daniel which are, quite frankly, truly terrifying. Now we've become desensitised to the language, what's being used here, but what was being described to Daniel, what was being shown to him, was, was truly terrifying for God's people. They were about to, or uh, throughout the ages, go into a chapter of great persecution. And some of that we are still waiting to go into in the last days. So all of these things that are being revealed to Daniel, Daniel now in chapter 10, 11 and 12, is being, uh, God is revealing more stuff to him. So you see that from verse 1. It says that there is about to take place in the last days a great battle, a great war. And it's going to be truly terrifying for God's people. Verse 2 of chapter 10, we see Daniel's response to that. And indeed everything else. And what is he doing? He is mourning. He's been weeping, in fact, for three weeks. He's not eaten a proper meal. He's not anointed himself with these lotions and potions, like some of us this morning. And as he's there by the great river Tigris, he's pouring out his heart before the Lord in his old age, crying out to Yahweh for the things that are and the things that have not yet taken place. He is a broken man. He is weeping such as he's concerned for God's people and God's church. Until verse 5, a man shows up. And brothers and sisters, what I really want us to see today is that for Daniel, again, what seems to change, what seems to pivot around in this situation that he's in from at the very beginning where he's mourning to the end at verse 19 where he says, I am now strengthened. So from the beginning of the passage, I am mourning to the end, I am strengthened. What I want us to see is what takes place. Two lessons I want us to see. One, he has, again, a vision of God, and that changes things. When we have a clear perspective of God, who he is, where he is, and what he looks like, and what he's coming to do, that changes what's going on down here when we have that clear vision of God. 
And secondly, we see that Daniel is touched by God. So particular attention will be paid to the second of those two things because we have concentrated on having this vision of God and how it changes our outlook in life. But let's go through it anyway, what it means to have this vision of God. And make no, no apology for repeating this as it comes up in the text, some of these virtues and some of these wonderful truths. As If Daniel needed to see it again, and if Daniel needed to hear words of affirmation and encouragement again, surely we, God's people here today, need to hear the same things and see the same things likewise. So, here Daniel sees someone, verse 4, on the 24th day of the first month, that's around Passover. He's on the bank of the Tigris. He lifts his eyes, verse 5, and he sees. This is a, what I've called a, a spectacular vision, and you can follow with me from verse 5. It says, I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his, Uphaz from around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs were like the gleam of burnished bronze and his voice like the sound of a multitude for starters. So, my take on that, uh, for what it's worth, is that who, the person who Daniel is seeing here is in fact Jesus. So when you listen to some of the descriptors, clothed in linen, belt of gold, Euphaz, his body like beryl, his face like lightning, his eyes flaming, and he has, he's uh, like burnished bronze, the sound of his voice, like the sound of, of multitudes, has striking resemblance to Revelation uh, chapter 2, when you read through uh, Daniel, uh, sorry, John's vision as he falls down flat on the, in, on the Isle of Patmos of, of the risen Christ. It sounds very similar indeed. Now, it's not identical. We can't fool ourselves. It's not identical. But it is very similar indeed. However, whilst that's my take, it is honest to say that there is much debate over this from scholars. And the main reason why scholars debate over this cannot be Jesus is we find in verse 13. So turn with me, verse 13. The person speaking says that the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days. But Michael, the, the, the angel, came to help me. And scholars rightly say, this can't be Jesus because no one can stand against Jesus, right? If it's Jesus, how on earth can this prince of Persia stand against him for 21 days even? Which, granted, is a fair point. Now, two ways you can respond to that. One, that there are two figures mentioned here in this passage, which is kind of where I fall. So the one speaking to Daniel from verse 10 onwards is separate to the one he sees initially in verses to 5 of, of, of pre-incarnate Jesus in his glory. Or, if you think this is just one figure, which granted it does read that way, as you've had it read to you today, you have to deal with why this prince of Persia is withstanding him. So, first thing to say is that whilst acknowledging we're not, we're not dualists, so let's talk through that, uh, the, that argument, okay, that it is Jesus, but there is this person withstanding him. First thing we acknowledge as 
believers, evangelical believers, is that we're not dualists. Okay, what does that mean? It, it means that we don't believe that here we have God Almighty and here we have Satan, and Satan is as powerful as God. And in some way, they're having this sort of cosmic fight where we're, it's 50 50, you don't know who's going to win. We don't believe that at all. We believe that Jesus is victorious. Jesus is far more powerful than Satan and all of the demons, and at the name of Jesus, demons and Satan flees. So that's what we believe. This is a one-sided battle. Christ wins. Christ is victorious. Christ has won. Christ has won. Always. Every time. So we are not dualists. But there are indicators again in the Bible that that show us that God in his sovereignty and wisdom allows things to take place that we don't quite understand why he's allowing that to happen. So, for example, the book of Job. Job, uh, sorry, Satan appears before the Lord and the Lord grants him or gives him permission to be able to terrorize Job on earth. So whilst these sort of complicated things are taking place and this wrestling is taking place, it's not because Satan is equal in power with God, but because God in his wisdom, and it's very strange to understand, I give you that, has allowed him to do so and to wreak havoc. Or the other area where we see where we might like to come to that is a bit complicated, for example, is that Jacob is wrestling with, with the angel, right, who we take to be Jesus now, of course, we know that man cannot wrestle with, with, Je- with Jesus literally. He, he, that, could not, that could not happen. We, we know there's only one outcome there, right? Jesus could just at any one point, or this angel could at any one point just end the fight. It's over. But yet God, in his wisdom, has allowed Jacob to wrestle with this angel of the Lord who we take to, to be Jesus. We don't understand why, but sometimes God does allow his people to, to, to wrestle with things. Or there's this battle going on between angels, and it doesn't quite make sense, but we understand that God in his sovereignty has allowed it to happen. But we know, and this is what we hold on to, that God will have the final say. But there is this great wrestling and battling going on in between. Okay, but anyway, thematics. The point is this. Okay, we can we can spend you can spend hours, weeks, and months on this. What did he say? What does this scholar say? What are they up to? The point is this. Okay, whether it's Jesus or whether it's an angel, this is God speaking to Daniel. Okay, yeah, I'll give you. That's the shortcut, right? You don't want to go down there and, and start going all you know confused. Here's the shortcut. God is speaking. Whoever it is, whether it's through an angel, whether it's Jesus, God is speaking to Daniel. This is God's word. And the response is that, and I'm going to run with Jesus, as Daniel sees Jesus and all of his splendor and all of his glory, some people hear it, do you see it, and leg it. And the resulting impact is that Daniel was left alone, verse 8, yeah, with no strength, afraid, and seemingly, verse 9, completely piles in, he creams in on the floor, under the weight of seeing Jesus in all of his glory. He's down, he's out, he's asleep, he's on the floor. Okay? Because this is the reality of seeing Jesus. We spoke about this a bit the other week, but I wonder how many of you view Jesus in this way. We we tend not to. We tend not to. Okay, we tend to view Jesus through the lens of the gospel. Good thing. Good thing, by the way. But we do tend to see Jesus through the lens of the gospel. But what we also need to understand is that when Jesus came to earth, what we saw was veiled. Yeah? Yeah? 
What we saw was veiled as he took on human form. In the Gospels you get glimpses, such as on the Mount of the Configuration, but Jesus, when he came to earth as the song goes, do you remember it? He laid aside his majesty, gave up everything, and so on and so forth. Or more accurately, he laid aside his, his glorious appearance to come and take on uh, human flesh, his incarnation. And why? Because, quite frankly, we would not be able to stand before Christ in all of his glory. Otherwise, and so we see that with, uh, with Paul on the way to Damascus, yeah? What does Paul do? Falls off, dead. John, or like a dead man, in on the island of Patmos, when he sees Jesus in his glorified state, what does he do? Falls down dead. Yeah? Daniel, throughout the passage, is overwhelmed. He, he cannot handle this. He is speechless as he sees Jesus' true appearance. I find this so exciting to, to think, one day we're going to see this. This is cool. He sees Jesus in all of his true appearance, all of his glory, all of his majesty. And this is so important for us because we need to see, what we need to see is not just a picture of Jesus meek and mild through the lens of the gospel, a vision of, we also need to see a vision of who he is and how awesome and how, yes, how terrifying he actually is. Yeah? We need to understand this is Christ now in glory and that's important for God's people who are about to become disorientated by the times that they will go through. Maybe some of us this morning, we're disorientated by our circumstances. What we need is a fresh vision to orientate us, that Christ is in all of his splendor and all of his glory. And he is powerful and majestic and awesome and terrifying. That's what we need to recapture, a vision of of who he is. Lesson one, a vision of Jesus, the resurrected king, the mighty one of heaven. The mighty one of heaven whose voice is like the sound of a multitude. Can you even picture that? Play that through in your minds right now. What, 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 what does that mean? As Jesus speaks and it sounds like the, the voices of a multitude speaking. It's amazing descriptions of Christ. What does this do then for our over-familiarity with Jesus and as is becoming increasingly popular? You know, this is one of the reasons, as a sidetrack, why we order our services like we do, with songs of adoration, songs of praise and worship at who God is. And then as Andy prayed for us this morning, we recognize who we are before this great and awesome God, and we we need to pray and we need to repent. And we need to say, Lord, we have not done what we should have done. We have not been the people you have called us to be. What we have said, what we have done, what we have thought this very week and even this very day and even this very morning, as I said earlier, getting, getting five kids to church. Yeah, I have said things and I have thought things what I should not have done. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Yeah, and that's the reason why we orientate and we, and we, and we structure our service like we do, because we recognize who God is and we come to him with humble hearts like Daniel and we say we are not worthy. But thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus who gives us our righteous, his righteousness and makes us worthy. So, first thing, a vision of Christ. Secondly, what we see is that in Daniel's humility and submission... Jesus not only reveals himself as this great and mighty figure, but lesson two, yeah, bank that one, Jesus in his glorified state, but lesson two, he comes down to us in our need. 
He comes down to us in our need. And here he touches Daniel. So let's look at that. So three times that word is mentioned. That means pay attention, okay, when it's repeated. Verse 10, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. Verse 16, then the one looked like a man touched my lips and I opened my mouth and began to speak. Verse 18, again the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Brothers and sisters, the, the last 19 or 20 months have been an incredibly difficult time. As pastor, I know I've spoken with many of us, whether we're tuning in from Green Lane online or here today. Some of us this morning are suffering. Some of you are in anguish and you recognize and you feel the weight of what Daniel is saying. Some of you are struggling in your marriages. Some of you are battling with your faith with life. But what I came here this morning to to tell us, to tell you, is that one fresh touch from Jesus changes everything, literally. When Christ comes to us and touches us by his spirit, it changes things. And if that's you, that's what we're praying for today. That you have a fresh touch, fresh revelation and a fresh touch from King Jesus here today. And if that is you, I want you to pay particular attention as to how that helped Daniel and how I believe it can help you this morning. So, we see, and they're all going to come up, it's going to blow it, they're all up here on the stage because I couldn't figure out how to change it around on Google Slides and do one at a time. So they've all come up there. So you can see it's not too bad, five, you can deal with that. And then you can get home and have your roast chicken and all the rest of it. Okay, don't worry. Okay, so, first point. Jesus touching Daniel brought what? Reassurance. Reassurance at what, church? Reassurance that we are, or that Daniel is, and we are loved by him. That we are loved, that you are loved. In Daniel's sorrow, in his pain, in his inadequacies... Jesus says, Daniel, verse 11, you are greatly loved. You are greatly loved. Let's read that. This is God's word. Verse 11. Daniel, you are highly esteemed, it says here in the NIV. Now, as you, as you look through uh, the actual words that are being used here, a famous Old Testament scholar by the name of Tremper Longman, he said that the word used here in Hebrew is hesed, okay, speaking of love. And it's the form of a verb that is used in the Tenth Commandment. The Tenth Commandment being, you shall not covet. Same sort of play on words that is being used here. Okay, so what this is saying is man or person who is coveted by God. Yeah? Coveted by whom? By God. You are coveted by God. God is jealous for you. God loves you. God is jealous for your affections. God covets you. He's people. The apple of his eye, he loves you that much. And his eye is ever on you, watching over you, plans to prosper you, to do you well if you know him and you are his child because he loves you. Isn't that a wonderful, uh, strong way of describing how God's love is for us? That he, he covets you and he's jealous for you. He loves you that much. He's not only mighty and powerful with flames in his eyes, but he is a God who loves me, treasures me, and I am coveted by him. 
isn't that wonderful truth for us to know this morning? Secondly, Jesus reaching out and touches him brings him reassurance that he is heard. He is heard. Daniel is a man who is truly loved by God, who, who, who's always sought him and sought his ways, who truly desires to see God's people in the correct standing with God, who wanted to see them turn from their self and towards worship. He was God-motivated all the way through. I can have pictures, the thing that came up to my mind when I was thinking of just like literally of Daniel. He's, he's full-on God-man, never, never resting, always trying to, always seeking to honour God. Was I remember my nan and my granddad from Carlisle that always used to meet up with us uh, down in Eastbourne or Bexhill or some other crazy places like that. Okay, And when we were kids, they always used to take us to get the old stick of rock that used to get down on the pier. And it always used to fascinate us, you know, simple minds, yeah, I know. And when you used to snap it in half and you used to look inside the rock and all the way through it would be whatever it said, yeah? Eastbourne or something like that. All the way through. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, because you're being really quiet and you're making me feel mad, okay? Thinking about your chicken again. Stop thinking about the chicken. This is more important. Okay, so when you look inside the rock and it would just say Eastbourne, Eastbourne, all the way through. That was like Daniel. He, would, he, he was always interested in the affairs of God, always wanted to honour him, always wanted to talk about him, always concerned with God's people all the way through. He loved God and he loved God's people. In verse 12 we read, don't we? Verse 12 he said, then he continued, do not be afraid Daniel since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God, your words have been heard. Since the first day. And church, if you allow me to stretch that a little bit. From the first day that you were woken up to God's grace as by his spirit he gave you life. And you say, well, Lord, I'm putting my faith in you. I'm repenting of my sins. I'm truly I'm choosing to live from you. Isn't it wonderful to know that we went from being objects of his wrath to being children of the Most High God. And therefore, from that day, you were loved by God. You were heard from God. Everything you, you go through, all of your battles, all of your struggles, all of your hopes and dreams and aspirations are heard by this loving God. And First John 5.14 says, This is the confidence we have. This is the confidence we have. That when we ask according to his will... Like Daniel, living for God, seeking to honour God. He will hear us. He hears us. You see, it's not enough just to have a vision of who God is in all of his, his glory and splendour. Although we need that, it's essential that we have that. What we also need to know is that he is the God who comes, he touches us, he loves us, and he hears us, his children. Third, a touch from Jesus brings, what? Heavenly perspective to a situation. Some of us today need to have a heavenly perspective of what's going on. We need to understand that God's in control. He's on the throne and he has promised to see me through this life. And he has promised in all things to work for good, the good of his name and the good of his people. So a touch from Jesus brings heavenly perspective to a situation. Daniel here, remember, is overwhelmed with sorrow. But in verse 13, he is told why. Take a look, verse 13, he is told why. And seemingly, there is a link between what's going on on earth, the battles that are going on on earth, and what is going on in the heavenlies. Yeah? 
There's a battle. They're correlated. They're linked. There's a correlation. They're linked. So, who is this Prince of Persia? Um, when I was growing up, it was a game on Sega Mega Drive. Okay? And now it's just something that Amy calls me at home. No, I made that last bit up. That's true. Scrub that bit. Scrub that bit. Okay. Who is this Prince of Persia? Don't laugh. Well, clearly it, wa- it wasn't Cyrus or Darius, be- or, or, even though that's how he's described in, in the norm, in the physical. But this is not who he's talking about here. Because not only is this figure in, it, it, it described as the Prince of Persia, he is described as having this sort of uh, this war with this figure and also with Michael. Yeah? So there's some sort of a heavenly battle that's going on now this prince of Persia, and he's fighting against this person described here, and he's fighting against Michael. Michael being the highest-ranked angel. The archangel is how he's described, I think, in Jude, which means chief, or here, prince, which is another word for ruler. He is the one who is more often than not at war, when we think of Michael. And specifically, when you look at his tasks, more often than not, he's, he's, he's specifically tasked with protecting Israel but also opposing Satan. So you remember uh, in Revelation, Satan, uh, so Michael is the archangel who is sent to, do you remember? Uh, to go to battle with, with the dragon, yeah? With, with Satan. And the situation with Israel and her, and her exile is, yes, a result of sin. Yeah, we know that. And so uh, sometimes when our life is a mess, we need to ask ourselves, is this the result of sin? Yeah, maybe I'm I, 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 I'm living in sin and I'm I'm doing this sinful behaviour. I need to bring that before the Lord and ask Him to show that to get rid of it, to to, to get it out of me. Or we also know that de facto by uh, de facto by the, the the fact that we are in a, a fallen earth, bad things happen because we're in a, a corrupted earth. We're because of our sin, it's marred and there's chaos. We know that because we live in that, we're not. We, we, we don't avoid the things that go wrong in this world. Okay, bad things happen to good people. We know that because we live in a sinful and messy world. But another thing that we need to realise, church, that we see here, is that we also are in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual battle. We're in a, a spiritual war. And that is often overlooked, dare I say often, in these parts, in our circles that we knock around in. Yeah? We don't talk about it. But we are. You are. You're in a spiritual war. Now, I was brought up, okay, by charismatic parents, yeah, charismatic pastors, and I think you can take this a bit too too far, a bit too extreme. Okay, so when I was a kid, you'd be walking down the forest in the dark and the leaves would be going off and you'd be like, ah, Satan, or something like that. You can over-spiritualize things and just make everything spiritual, Yeah. But at the same time, at the other hand, what we can do, particularly in our, in our circles, is that we can underplay what's going on. And we can rationalise it too much. And we don't realise, actually, that God's people really are in a spiritual battle. Now, 
I could, I could give examples of where I've seen this, particularly at the, with the spread of the gospel. So I've been and worked in, in prisons, and when we proclaim the gospel, microphones have cut off, screens have gone blank, windows have flown open, and cats have come in hissing, all sorts of really crazy things. I've been into places in, in Ukraine where people have just come in and they've said, you're not allowed to preach the gospel, you must stop, and they've taken us out and detained us for a period of time and said, you are not allowed to preach the gospel. And so I have seen, and I know I've been to places in, in, for example, Belgium or France, and I have seen people influenced by demonic activity, and I felt completely overwhelmed, and all I knew what to do was to just to say, in the name of Jesus, leave this young lady. And I have seen it. Okay? So what we need to understand is that we are in a spiritual battle. And there is particular fierce opposition when God's kingdom is being built and when the proclamation of the gospel is going forth. And so when I think of situations like our mission partners in Burma, who are going through unbelievable, unbelievably hard times, the temptation can be just to lump that on corrupt generals that have ruined this country. But when I see that and when I hear what's going on, I think this is a spiritual battle as well. This is a spiritual battle for the souls of men and women and the proclamation of the gospel. And brothers and sisters, it may be in your life today that your life looks a mess. Well, first we come before God and we say, Lord, is it a sin? Please, I, I repent. Take it out of me. Get, get it, show me the error of my ways. Or it may be the fact that it's, it's nothing to do with us. It's not our fault. We're in a fallen world. But it may also be that because we're in a spiritual war, we need to pick up spiritual tools and we need to go to war with them in the Lord's strength. And some of you may be battling right here, right now, for where your contentment in the faith. And some of you may be battling right here, right now, or listening online, or in the other site, at the other site, battling for your marriage, battling for purity, battling with your singleness, battling, battling what we need to understand is that God's people are also in a spiritual battle and every day we must pick up spiritual weapons and armour and go to war in the strength that God has given us. That's why it says in Ephesians 6.12, your battle is not against just the flesh, but against the enemy and the powers of darkness. Therefore, stand and put on the armour of God. And that is a word for some of us here today of encouragement from his word. Put on the armour of God. And go to war in the Lord's strength. So, let's, let's, let's go on with that. So, point three brings perspective that we are in a battle as God's people for the souls of men and women and the encouragement of God's people. First, uh, point number four, a touch from Jesus strengthens his people, strengthened Daniel. Read verses 16 to 19. Verse 619 says, Then the one who looked like a man touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing before me, I am overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord. I know you show me what's going on. I understand that. I understand I love. I understand I'm heard. I have spiritual perspective, but I still feel very weak, Lord God. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone, and I can hardly breathe. In verse 18, again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. He said, do not be afraid. You who are highly esteemed, he said, peace. Be strong now. Be 
strong. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. Being aware of the situation can help. but It can also be under overwhelming at times. And God's people need to meet together, encourage one another, and we need to be totally reliant upon the Lord and trust and lean in on him for his strength. We need to fly through these. So let's pick up on the, on the fifth and final one. Finally, a fresh touch shows us not only that we are loved, yeah? Not only that we are heard. Not only does it show us the heavenly reality and strengthens us for it, but it's one that ultimately rests not on our strength or ability to fight, but on the one who came down to us, the Lord Jesus Christ. So it says here at the end, doesn't it? It says, speak, Lord, since you have given me strength. He said, do you know why I've come to you? Explains the situation. And now soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go, the prince of Greece will come as he did. But first I I will tell you what is written in the book of of truth. And and so on. So let's uh, let's try and wrap up with with that fifth point. He will fight for you. He will fight your battles for you. For as long as God's people are under attack. Brothers and sisters, again, no one is said, fighting the good fight is going to be easy. It's the reality of life. With every day, we battle with our sin. We battle with fallen people in a fallen world. And as we have seen, we're in a great spiritual war. It's one in which we must have a picture of who God is, of the truth that we are loved, that we are heard, that we are shown the spirit, the heavenly reality and strengthened for it. But it's one that ultimately rests not on our strength and our ability to fight, but on the one who came for us, the son of man who came to earth, who walked the path of sorrow, who knows what it means to empathize. He is the one who we saw at the beginning, do you remember of our passage, the one who is arrayed in heavenly garments, whose body is like beryl, his face like lightning, his eyes like flame, flames, which tells us that he is able to do something about the situation, doesn't it? And he is seated on the throne. And he is seated there because it is a place of absolute authority. He is seated there because it is finished as he cried out on the cross. It is finished. And because as Colossians 2.15 says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them. Victorious Christ. The victorious Christ is the one fighting for you and for your battles. Does that mean that Satan doesn't have an effect on this world? Well, he does. He has been cast down from heaven by Michael. He knows what awaits him. He knows his time is short and he is furious about it. He knows what awaits him. He knows he is defeated. He knows his end shall come, as we see over the next two weeks. He knows what Revelation says, that he is destined for the lake of burning sulfur. And he is angry and he is causing disruption and he is at work Uh, seeking to destroy and disrupt the church, the spread of the gospel and your own personal lives. But until that day as we finish, until that day when Jesus shall return and we shall at at last see him as Daniel did. Aren't you excited? I'm trying not to look at your faces and think, okay, it's exciting. It's going to happen. We're going to see Jesus. 
in all of his glory and splendor. It's amazing. It's terrifying, but it's amazing. It's amazing. It's going to be amazing. When we shall at last see him. And until that day, when Jesus does come back in all of his splendor and glory, when he comes, as it says in Revelation 20, to throw the devil and the beast and the false prophet in the lake of fire, we are reminded from today's passage that Jesus and his servant Michael are fighting for his people. That's my king, who's fighting for his people. So dearly beloved, you who Jesus has come down to, who he has redeemed and made his precious people, know today from Daniel 10 that you are loved, that you have been heard, be given that biblical and that sort of perspective for what's going on that we are in a spiritual battle equip yourselves in the strength of the Lord and the armour of the Lord to face those battles that you are in today know that he comes and he brings strength to the weak and have confidence that he is fighting those battles behind the curtain for you today because you are loved let's pray Father, we thank you for the glorious truths of Daniel. Lord, we pray and we bring before you now our lives and Lord, we must just surrender and bow our knee before the great King of Heaven. Lord, forgive us for over-familiarising ourselves with you and who you are. You are the risen, glorious Christ Lord, please, would you help us to try and glean something of a picture of that today as we've read some of those descriptions of of who you are and what you're like. No, we can't fully understand. That's who you are. The glorious, resurrected Christ. And Father, we, we bring before you, maybe there are people even here today struggling with circumstances. We bring them before you, weeping and in anguish. And Lord, help us to be reminded today that you are the Lord who comes and touches these people who tells them that they are loved, that they are heard, that shows them that you are fighting behind the curtain for your people and you strengthen them and call them to stand firm and lean on you because you are the victorious one. And you will one day rectify everything and bring perfect and execute perfect justice. And for those that know you as your children, you will come with loving arms And bring them away to be with you forever in glory. When we shall at last see you and be like you. And we thank you Lord for these truths. Lord strengthen your church. Strengthen your wounded people today Lord. Whoever that is. Encourage them Father. Cause their faith to rise. For we ask it in the name of Jesus. And for his glory alone. Amen. You have been listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. To find out more about us, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk.